May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to another edition of Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq al and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. And we're also streaming at WCEV1450.com. Now, if you are new to the Radio Islam family, we welcome you. Thanks for tuning in. We're on every day from 6 to 7 p.m. Central, coming to you from the wonderful city of Chicago, Illinois. You can keep up with us by following and liking our pages on social media. You will find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. And you can also find our podcast. That's right. Every episode, every broadcast you hear uh, will be on our SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, TuneIn, whatever whatever platform you're on to get your, sound, your uh, podcast, you will find us at Radio Islam USA. Okay, that being said, we'll also give you the phone number. Why not? It's 312-750-1178. 312-750-1178. All right, family, we're going to get into our discussion. I'm actually uh, really partial to this, this background gonna fade it out anyway get rid of it we don't need it we don't need it all right it's gone we have in studio with us today we are joined by mr mike bradley he is a junior uh, at beloit college majoring in anthropology and minoring in graphic design now i had the benefit of hearing uh hearing some of a presentation uh that mike gave uh, and I'm not even going to give it all away right now, right? We'll 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 get to that. But first, uh, we're just going to go ahead and greet him. Assalamu alaikum. You know what? It always works better when the mic's on. So let's try that again. Assalamu alaikum. Walaikum assalam. Okay, second time's a charm. All right. So uh, first off, thanks for being here. And uh, second, I want to ask. So you're at Beloit. Yes. At Beloit College. Now, a lot of folks may not be aware as to where that is, uh, but if they know their Illinois geography, if you know where Rockford is, Rockford is it's like western, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's not west, like northwest, something like that. It's west of downtown, yeah. right? Uh, but you're about, what, 20 minutes or so from, from Rockford? Yeah, I'm like uh, on the border of Illinois and Wisconsin. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, all right. Now, how did you, how did you find yourself at, well, first of all, what part of the city are you from? On the west side of Illinois, west, or side. west side of Chicago. Okay, and you're going into your junior year now. Uh, went to school, high school in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, did you? What high school did you go to? North Lawndale College Prep. Okay, now talk to me a bit about the demographic of. Uh, you said West Lawndale. North Lawndale. North Lawndale College Prep. Uh, at from North Lawndale Col- College Prep and the demographic at Beloit College. Uh, is there any difference? Oh, it's totally different. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, at my high school, um, it's like 100% black. Yeah. Um, I barely seen um, any other race growing up. Mm-hmm. So when I went to Beloit, uh, it was totally different. Uh, cultural shock. Yeah. Um, maybe like 100-some black kids and mostly white. Really? Mm-hmm. So was that was it, was it disorienting for you? Um. <clears throat> At first, I say so, but um, I played football there, and like I found myself being more comfortable day by day, hanging around a certain amount of people. Yeah, certain people. Okay. Yeah. So, so the experience of being around other other people, did you um, did you come to see that maybe there there were not as many differences as you might have thought, or? Or are there? Oh yeah, it's it's a lot of difference. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm cool with getting out of my comfort zone and going out and meeting new people. So yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's mm-hmm. that's that's how we grow. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you play football then? Yeah. Okay. What position? Um, o line. Really? Yeah. Okay. All right. That's that's where all the hard work yeah. uh, takes place. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, so as an anthropology major, what is it that has drawn you into anthropology? Uh, so I came to Beloit um, having my mindset at sociology. Okay. And, like, I was taking a class. Like, I was just learning about, like, older white people, I guess I got to say. So, <laughs> and then I took an anthropology class, and then I learned about different cultures all around the world. So that really caught my attention. I'm, yeah, looking forward to um, okay. 
looking more into that. Yeah. So the idea of seeing more than one narrative. Yeah. Um, now, what do you think is the for you? Had you not had you not taken an anthropology class, do you think that you would have the same worldview that you have right now? And of course, our worldview continues to grow. But do you think you would be on the same track that you are right now? Oh, definitely not. Like I will still be in my tunnel vision, looking in the same direction instead of looking out and like learn new things, which made me, um, I say, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, you took a class this summer mm-hmm. uh, with Dr. Deborah Majid. Yes, sir. And tell us a bit about that class. What, what was the name of that class? Uh, Reinventing Malcolm X. So basically, um, before school ended, um, I wanted to stay over the summer because I didn't want to come back to Chicago and my neighborhood. Yeah. So I was looking at classes, and I seen um, a class, as I said, Reinventing Malcolm X, and a Muslim girl, that um, one of my closest friends, she was saying how the class was going to talk about Islam, and, and I already had an interest in that also. Right. So she ended up not taking the class because she had to go home early. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I took the class, and, yeah, the class changed my life, basically. Mm. Now, now, how so? Because um, that's, that's a huge, huge statement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so in this class, they taught us, um, we, this class, Reinvented Malcolm X, uh, with the influence of his mentor, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, mm-hmm. and the Nation of Islam. And we um, talked a lot about Islam. Mm-hmm. And because I had an interest in it, uh, we we went to a different masjids and mosques in Detroit, Chicago, um, Indianapolis. And I, I just knew this is where I needed to be in life. Mm-hmm. And that's when I converted to um, Islam. Alhamdulillah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, is, uh, that definitely is life-changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So what were some of the things, well, first, before I ask you what were some of the things that you found out, let me ask you this. Were there preconceptions that you already held with regard to Malcolm X, uh, the honor of Elijah Muhammad? Uh, and, and dare I even go further and ask, were you, were you aware of Imam Warthi Muhammad? No, uh, no. Uh, so for... For my um, project, where I'll talk about a little later, um, about Elijah Muhammad, um, I didn't learn, a, well, in high school, we didn't talk um, about Elijah Muhammad or Worth Dean Muhammad at all. Mm-hmm. So that's my project about. I'll talk about that later. But for Malcolm X, yeah, I know a great deal about him already. So I feel like taking the class, I'm going to get an easy A. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's why one, another reason why I was taking the class. Yeah, so I could do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, but but did it turn out to be the easy A that you thought it was Oh, be? definitely not. Not with yeah. uh, Professor Majid. Uh, <laughs> it was really intense. It was three weeks, so it was a lot of working on three weeks. Yeah, okay. Uh, what was one, what was, was there anything that you learned that surprised you? Oh, yeah, a, a great deal with, when it comes to Islam and the nation of Islam. Mm-hmm. All, all the facts, well, all the things I was, I, I was learned I taught well I was taught <laughs> right um, yeah caught my attention and a lot of stuff that I learned now you said that these were these were figures that were not presented to you mm-hmm. in high school yeah and and I guess it would be logical to say that they were also not presented to you in grammar school either oh yeah right do you think uh, and this without this is without, without even talking about some of the things that you found out but do you think that if these two individuals in particular, and many others we could, we could add to the list, were a part of the uh, educational curriculum for, uh, for, for young black children, that it would have some type of impact on their worldview, view of themselves? Oh, definitely. And for children of all races, like these people are. I'm glad are, you said that. Yeah. yeah, these people are not not only African American, um, not should be talked about in African American history, but also American history as a whole. Mm-hmm. Now, 
when you came, uh, when you did your presentation, mm. it was a, a diverse group, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there was a, a young um, uh, a, a white girl, uh, 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 Asian. Um, and two Latinas. Yeah, two Latinx, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. So y'all had, y'all had the, like the, the Rainbow Coalition, right? You could have added maybe a few more folks. but yeah. I was the only black person and the only male, so. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> I noticed that. Uh, but this class, uh, and not speaking for them, but just in your own observation, do you feel like, it uh, it was transformative for them as well. Oh yeah, like um, now we are all good friends, and like we talk about the class all the time, and how they they also was thinking like, oh maybe um, Islam is the way for them also, but yeah. they ain't like just talk about it as much to Professor Majid like I did. Yeah. Now that's interesting uh, to bring up. When I said I'm glad you said that because uh, as far, as far as not just the impact of this information on people that look like the people we're talking about but the impact that it can have on our society as a whole as a a pluralistic society has to have it has to have diverse voices that compose its narrative you you uh, erase these other voices and you do so to the detriment of the uh, the population's view of itself and and the world so I was really I'm, I'm I'm glad to hear you say that um what's life like uh for you at at beloit uh life for me yeah um i don't know it's it's kind of normal like okay let me ask this so with with it being where it is it's mm-hmm. it's far enough away from that from uh from from your the neighborhood you grew up in uh, it's a completely different environment, mm-hmm. right? Um, do you feel acclimated now, after two years going to see your third year? Uh, do you feel more comfortable there, or do you still? Feel, I mean, is there is there kind of a, a dissonance or? Um, um, I'll say I feel um, pretty comfortable there. Uh, I'm also in a fraternity there, okay. but it's still mostly white people. But I got my own little space and. Yeah. Uh, I also was on the exec board of BSU at my college. Yeah. And, like, black I got... Black Student Union. Yeah, Black Student Union. <laughs> and, like, I got a lot of comfort, more comfort places in certain areas, but as a whole, I think I'm pretty comfortable there. Okay. Now, as a as a budding scholar um, who whose research, I hope, is going to be shared and cited, uh, one day so mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the the things that you observe uh, in your environment now your academic environment uh, do you feel that things have changed with regard to how we relate to one another uh, the the class you talked about you had a diverse group that and this class brought you all closer mm-hmm. uh, but how many opportunities are pres- are present like that in school, and not just for Beloit, but just just, just your own experience. How many uh, experiences are like that uh, that allow for these diverse groups to come together to get to know each other? Um, not many, I'll say. Um, especially not that, like, close outs, um, taking trips together and sharing hotels, rooms, and everything like that. So mm-hmm. I don't th- it's not, especially from my experience, there's not many classes like that. I don't know about other colleges or places like that. Is there a difference between the camaraderie and closeness that uh, is present on in athletics, uh, like on the, the football mm-hmm. team in particular? Um, is there a difference between that and the closeness that was developed through this experience of this class? Mm, I haven't thought about that, but actually a lot of similarities when it comes to the two. Because, like I was saying, um, sharing hotel rooms and um, taking trips and like studying, and it was only like five of us, so that um, helped a lot. I say, so I see a lot. Of, I see a lot of similarities with the two. Hmm. Do you feel that proximity is a? Excuse me. Uh, and by, by proximity, I mean, do you do you feel like if we are closer to one another, that we would actually not have, um, that we would not have some of the uh, misconceptions and 
uh, issues that we do? Oh yeah, definitely. I say. Okay. All right. Now, what, what, which, which uh, angle did you come at with your uh, research um, that you had to do? So, basically, what I did. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, for the last week, uh, the three-week course, um, we was required to present a project to Masjid Al Taqwa, mm -hmm. and in this project, either you could choose a presentation, a PSA, a public service announcement. Um, or a 10-page paper, which I was not trying to do. <laughs> so um, my partner and I decided to do um, uh, a PSA, which is like a two-minute um, like commercial. Yeah. But also it had to be three minutes. And my topic, you had to choose any topic you want. So my topic was um, how, and how and why Elijah Muhammad should get more recognition uh, in history, basically. Now, you went into this not knowing very much about him. Mm -hmm. But had you heard his name before? Um, yeah, but like bef right before the class, maybe like a couple right. weeks before the class. Okay. Now, what, what, are, what are some of the things that you found out that supported this idea that he should be talked about more in history? Uh, because of his impact on the black community, I say, and other communities also, like... Um, in the Nation of Islam, it was uh, white people there, yeah. uh, Latinos and everything like that. So um, how you taught black people to do for self, as I should say, uh, how you, sh you shouldn't um, see yourself as inferior as the white man see you. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, basically um, get up, get some work, clean up, clean yourself up like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. so great impact on the black community. Now, do you think that um, from an anthropolo anthropological uh, standpoint that the, not, not the teaching, but the, the message, the, the point, um, how timely do you feel that message was that, that he gave going back to the 30s mm -hmm. um, to today's uh, time? How, how how impactful do you, do you see it? Um, I, I see it. I, I'll say it's still impactful in a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, not just seeing a white man as the devil and everything like that, but yeah, because we, we we don't we don't <laughs> believe that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but more of um, empowering black people, um, yeah. telling them that like you shouldn't ask for handouts. You should get up, find a job, clean yourself up. I think that still help a lot of people. <clears throat> Hmm. Now, what's interesting uh, is that his legacy is often it's not it's not talked about, uh, but people who spoke in very much the same language as far as um, being self motivated, uh, self directed, uh, you know, doing for self. Mm -hmm. uh, people like um, Marcus Garvey or mm -hmm. Booker T. Washington, yeah. right? Um, these are people that we that we readily talk about. We celebrate, uh, particularly if, we, if we're talking about uh, you know African American History Month, Black History Month. Mm -hmm. uh, th those are times when all the the pictures they get dusted off, and exactly. we talk about those folks. Yeah. Um, but he not only talked about those things, but actually was the was at the center of of pushing uh, transformation of businesses right um, you know and and an and agency that we had not seen uh, outside of places like maybe you know talking about uh, Tulsa and uh, these these few few little uh, beacons of establishment uh, what 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 did you come away with um, after uh, after doing this research um, what I come away with was that's some knowledge, I'll say. Um, I can't wait with, with where I want to be in life, mm -hmm. who I want to be, like, who I want to be. Um, I, in this class, I see me finding myself. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, I mean, this is Mike already put it out there. I'll, I'll say that because um, he said this is, he, he accepted uh, Islam uh, 
and, and it's funny, right? We could really go off on a different tangent here because I've mm -hmm. been having conversations with people about the terminology, right? That, mm -hmm. I, con that I convert, that right. I revert. Uh, and most recently I've heard I transitioned, mm -hmm. uh, which I'm actually more fond of, to be honest with you. I feel like it really is a transition. Right. Like you didn't become somebody else. You became more of who you really are. Yeah. So uh, anyway, um, uh, did I just, I didn't just lose my thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, okay, I, I think I got it. So with, with, with Elijah Muhammad, um, and there's there's quite a bit that is not uh, that's not talked about. Um, did you in your in your research did you come across their impact of the Nation of Islam on substance abuse and African American uh, yeah. communities? Um, so no drugs, no alcohol. Um, like yeah, that helped a lot of people. Um, it helped um, Donald Elijah Muhammad himself. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and I'll go. I'll go one further for those of you, uh, Radio Islam family, who may or may not, if you're not aware, this the the most successful substance abuse program in the history of the United States was operated, uh, was conceived and managed by the uh, by the Nation of Islam under mm -hmm. the leadership of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Okay. Um, their ability to take people who were at their worst uh, and instill some hope in them, uh, it was, I mean, it's, it's, it's simply unrivaled in the history of, in the history of this country. Um, and, and for me, that's something that deserves, it's not a theological, it's not a theological uh, question, right? Because mm -hmm. often, when, and what you will see, oh, you know what, let me backpedal a minute, because I cut myself off, and I was trying to say that you <laughs> talking about these labels, right? That you took your shahada, mm -hmm. uh, June tenth. Yes, at uh, Masjid Al Taqwa. Mm -hmm. I was pleased to uh, be there to to help to administer that, uh, to witness that. Mm -hmm. um, now, jump forward. Um, some of the things that uh, that that he's that he's done. I think are rejected or they wrapped up in debates over theology when theology was never really the that was never the the main point it wasn't it wasn't theology that folks were fighting against mm -hmm. uh, or that was keeping people from being able to get jobs or that was putting crosses, burning crosses in people's lawns, you know. Right. Well, there was a theology. I, I take that back. It was a, a sickness, mm -hmm. right? Um, but what he brought, what he brought and what he promoted was 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 uh, a belief in self, a belief in community, and, and that was transformational. Uh, and that, there, there has to be something to that that people don't want to include that in the history. You all had a wonderful. That was that was your hashtag, right? What about Elijah? Yes, mm -hmm. yes, <laughs> yes. I thought that was a. Uh, now, who came up with that? Um, so we went to a masjid in Indianapolis, and yeah. um, uh, a sister there that was from um, the Nation of Islam. Yeah. Um, she wrote a letter, a letter back in the um, back in the day. Yeah. And that was like part of her letter she said what about like and when we read the letter we oh like I thought about it like yeah well we use that as a hashtag right mm -hmm. right now have you all have you all been have you all been using it <laughs> pushing that uh, thing yet? not yet it, okay. it's gonna come though well all right well <laughs> I mean I may beat you to it <laughs> <laughs> so what are your what are your plans for the rest of the um for the remainder of your uh, remainder of your summer. Um, are you still uh, researching? Are you still reading? Uh, yeah, I'm reading, um, but for my own, like my for my um, own personal. Um, yeah, so yeah, I'm just I don't know learning more. Yeah, still trying to see who I am. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, now, have you gone back to? Uh, so you're back home now. Mm -hmm. Have you had a chance to tell? 
you know, uh, some of the people in the neighborhood uh, about your newfound awareness of yourself, uh, acceptance of Islam? Yeah. Uh, my friends and fam closest friends and family know. Uh, it's like people who like cheering for me and stuff like that. Really? It's like, yeah, like a celebration. Uh, wow. I don't know. So I'm just telling them what I know and, you know, if they um, decide to come, um, it's for the young girl, I say. Wow. Now that, that I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that they were received with celebratory uh, mm. <laughs> <laughs> types of uh, response. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 awesome. Yeah, my that's sister, awesome. my little sister, she told everybody in my high school and all her friends and everybody getting excited. So really, yeah. So okay. <laughs> that's that. So invite them to the invite them to the mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, it's been it's been really uh, it's been really good to hear uh, hear your your story and hear some of the um, you know before before we. Before I get into wine down mode, uh, <laughs> what do you see yourself doing uh, next? What do you see yourself doing with this anthropology uh, degree and with, with the information that you are arming yourself with? Um, I don't really know. Um, for for my c career choice, I want to go into, like, marketing or something that I do with um, social media or something like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, when it comes to my research, I just want to inform as many people as I can. Um just have conversations with people and let them know what I learned. Um, yeah. yeah. So, and get it, get my PSA out there. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, um, we want to share your PSA. Okay. So if you send me the link, mm. then we will, yeah, definitely share the uh, the PSA. And and Radio Sound family, this is something to to think about, right? There are a lot of there are a lot of different expressions of of Islam, and just within that statement, uh, there's a lot of room for people to kind of dig the hills in and, and, and take sides and, uh, and say who's right and who's wrong. But meanwhile, we are living in a country, those of us that are living in the United States, we're living in a country where, um, where families can be separated that are trying to find safety, that are fleeing from, from violence uh, and, and oppression. Uh, so think about, uh, think about the ills that we have and think about the arguments that, you, that are really important for us to, to engage in. Uh, is it more important, is it more impactful for us to have arguments uh, and to protest uh, with regard to mass incarceration, with, the, with regard to uh, pay gap, with regard to um, uh, a living wage, uh, you know, I, I can go down the list. Uh, there, there are a lot of things that we can argue about that really have impact on the social good and the social order, uh, and and there are a lot of things that we can argue about that will simply just waste time and we will turn gray and return to the earth and nothing will have changed. So, uh, just keep that in mind if you have had a negative view um, of um, Elijah Muhammad and not been able to, to witness the social impact. And if you look at the social impact, then you can have an appreciation. You'll have a, you'll have a great appreciation uh, for that work, which, is, uh, which should be talked about. It should be, it should be known uh, and, and embraced, not simply by African-Americans, but by the country as a whole, because that's a, that's a model for the correction of a lot of things that, that are going wrong today. Okay. My speech, <laughs> Mike. I appreciate you being here. Oh, thank you for having me, and uh, pray for your continued success. Uh, and look forward to seeing that PSA. Mm -hmm. All right, all right, Radio Sound family. We're going to go ahead and take a short break, and we will be back in just a minute. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri, was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent, one in 260,000. The odds of him having 15 career NASCAR victories, one in 1.7 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism, one in 88. 
I'm Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are still on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. For those of you who are new to the program, who may just be tuning in right now, you can keep up with us by following and liking our pages on social media. You will find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And you can also check out previous episodes wherever you get your podcast. So if that's iTunes, TuneIn, uh, Google Play, or SoundCloud, you'll find us at the same username at Radio Islam USA. All right, Radio Islam family. Uh, we were, uh, in the first half, we talked a bit about the, uh, the research that um, Michael Bradley had done with regard to the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And what that really um, brought us to, um, you know what, let me give him a shout out right now, the impressive one, uh, joining me on the microphone, Ibrahim Bey. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. So um, every, every, every city, right, every um, we're just talking within the United States context, right? Every city has a history of how Islam um, has moved around, how it's uh, entrenched itself, how it's developed. But particularly with the Chicago, um, the Chicagoland area, uh, the 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 history of the uh, of of Islam in the African American community, in particular, right? The Honorable Elijah Muhammad, Nation of Islam, uh, uh, was a big part of that. Right, Imam Wahidin Muhammad, who succeeded him, uh, and even the uh, Ahmadiyya uh, movement, which was one of the the few um, few expressions of Islam communities that went into the African American uh, community. But I think this also will be a good opportunity to also talk about some of the other um, communities because we've we've got a really diverse presence in the Chicagoland area. So. Let's uh, let yeah. Let's talk about some of those um, other uh, communities. So, you, you you yourself personally, you attend ICN, right? Yes, Islamic Center of Naperville. Yeah. See, we had to break that down for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and what what is some of the history that you're aware of uh, as far as ICN is concerned? ICN started as a small place, a very small building, in I think 1990 or 91. Oh wow. Um, they purchased a church, like a former church. I think it was a small church for Jehovah's Witness or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the center of Naperville in a residential area, um, they expanded it, the same building a couple of years later. That same building still exists, actually. Right. Um, but now we have one other building on the other side of town. So it was around that time, 1990 or 91, um, working professionals in the area from uh, Arab and South Asian background. Uh, the main mosque in that and community center in the area at that time was Villa Park. Okay. So most of the family used to go there, but it was pretty far from Naperville, about 20, 25 minutes from Naperville. So they decided to uh, make their own thing as well. Okay. So there were already um, families living in the area before they decided to, to build. Right. Okay. Now, you know, that's that's kind of interesting. I think I've got to do a little more research myself because I went to um, what became Sister Clara Muhammad School. It was first Muhammad University of Islam um, and back in the like, late 70s, early 80s became Sister Clara Muhammad School. But the property was owned, which is now Mosque Mariam. Uh, but people moved over, I think, after the property was bought. So I think it was kind of in reverse. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's 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 interesting. So one of the things that they prided themselves on when they first built it was they, they um, unlike Islamic Foundation at Villa Park, which was run by basically a board of members, like a permanent committee of people, mm-hmm. they said we're going to hold elections every two years or something like that. They made a constitute like a, you know, a charter and everything and like yeah. these are the rules and these are how you qualify and 
very organized uh, in a very organized manner, and they stuck to that over the years. So they have they've got regular they have regular elections. Uh, they have a school, also. They have a like preschool, kindergarten. Okay, and I assume they've always had um, a weekend school program, like a Saturday um, Sunday school. Not from the very beginning, but definitely since I would say like the late nineties. Or so they've had it, yeah. Okay. Something now it's actually their weekend school now is I think it's like 500 kids. Really? Yeah. Wow. Man, alhamdulillah, that's that's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Now Villa Park. Um, now I know you said ICN is your that's where you normally attend, uh, mm-hmm. but have you also attended with any regularity uh, Villa Park or any other um, masjid? Yeah, before ICN was built. Uh, when I was little, we used to go to Villa Park. Okay. Uh, I went to Sunday school there after, even yeah. after I graduated from Sunday school there, okay. um, back in the nineties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm very familiar with the the whole Villa Park community either. Yeah. Um, uh, what's interesting is that um, we're now dealing with like the second or third generation of people in these in these communities some of these older communities in the area so it's mm-hmm. you won't see some of the people from like way back then you might still see them but they're the very small small minority as compared to everyone else who's there now mm. so it's a lot of growth yeah what were um to your recollection uh do you know what were the forces or not forces what were the the drivers that that Naperville became the area, uh, or Villa Park came became the area that people wanted that you know they moved to. I think it's it's cyclical, you know. Um, it starts out with a masjid. It's debatable. It's like chicken or the egg, right? Like f- which comes first? Right. Either are, is there a people? Is there a presence of people there that builds the masjid, or is it the masjid that attracts the people? You know, the answer is really both. Mm. So you see it progress as a cycle. Whatever happens, however the masjid gets built, once it's built, people begin over the next five years, ten years, really flocking to that area and concentrating around that area. Mm-hmm. Now, what are some of the, um, are there any other uh, masjid that you're familiar with uh, outside of those two uh, as far as, and I ask because I'm thinking of, um, as I've worked in different places, you know, throughout mm-hmm. my, my working life, the first thing I look for is, you know, where's the nearest uh, masjid, right? Right. So I was working in, uh, I was uh, in North, no, not was it Northbrook? Yeah, Northbrook. Mm-hmm. So I ended up at, I think it's the, it's the Northbrook uh, masjid. I forgot the official name of it. It's but like yeah. off of it's yeah, on Finkston or, mm-hmm. you know. So that was my first, my first uh, contact with the, I believe that's the Bosnian uh, community. Yeah, I think so. Out there, and and if you're listening, well, we've we've got. I think we're going to have to have some on, ongoing conversation about this because once again, as I say, the history is really rich. I wonder how they came to be situated, um, uh, you know, out there in, in, in Northbrook. Uh, yeah. You know. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm definitely speaking as an outsider, but from what I know, there's two distinct kind of generations of the Bosnian Muslim community mm-hmm. one was that came like many many decades ago to flee like World War One violence and stuff like that yeah. and then the second generation is when this recent crisis in Bosnia happened the genocide in right. the 90s early 90s mm-hmm. so that was the second kind of wave of uh, immigrants from that area Muslim immigrants yeah. now I'd like to explore this a little bit there's an idea um what is the central function that the masjid um, serves as? Does it serve as a uh, does it serve as the as a as a place for a social gathering? Does it serve as the and I'm not talking about I- ideally, right? Because I think ideally we, we understand that it really is supposed to be a hub for the community, um, but how it how it operates, it does not always work out that way. Um, what do you think, or in, in your experience, has there been, what, what is it, how is the idea matched to reality? As, 
I can only speak as an insider to these two communities that we mentioned, sure. uh, Villa Park, a long time ago, and then in recent past decade or so, a mm. couple of decades, um, Islamic Center of Naperville. Um, in my experience, yeah, it really does. Um, there's the confusion happens because people, when they come from Muslim countries, the masjid is something different over there because there's so many, right? Mm. Um, there's literally, like if you go to Egypt, literally there's at least one small masjid in every block, right? Um, if you go to uh, Pakistan, similar, maybe not quite as saturated, but similar. So there's places in those countries where the only purpose of that space is to just pray and then lock the doors and leave, right? Mm. And then there'd be like one big, huge masjid called the Jamir, or uh, Jamir or Masjid, depending on which country you go to, where that will be where the uh, Juma prayer takes place, the Friday prayer takes place there. Mm-hmm. And so that's more of a community function, like people, uh, burial services and things like that, wedding services, all, all that takes place in these big central, centrally located mosques. Maybe there's like one in each neighborhood or something like that. So the other one shut down? So the other ones are basically just They might call it a musallah or a gamer Or whatever depending on which country But it's basically just a musallah right? It's basically open For each prayer and then it closes There's not much that happens there So so Jumu'ah would not be held In those spaces um, A lot of times No it's not It's not held in those smaller local spaces That you see on like every block Mm -hmm. It's held in somewhere You know depends it depends on the country too like uh, when i saw in pakistan it was more like one big place like a huge place in each kind of subdivision area neighborhood or whatever mm-hmm. in egypt in alexandria egypt it was more like um several places in each in each neighborhood but certainly the frequency of the places where the friday prayer happens is much less than these other you know little tiny places that are all over the place mm. i can't help but draw a um draw a comparison between uh most african-american neighborhoods inner city neighborhood inner city neighborhoods where you see there's just a just a tremendous amount of churches mm-hmm. um and usually uh, there's i mean and it's not it's not hyperbole to say that you'd find a church on every on every corner, just yeah. about every corner. But the difference being that you could have each one of those churches might be a different denomination. Mm-hmm. So there's not a central church where everybody's going to be at. Um, it, it's basically they're all, they're not just, uh, you know, they're not just houses of, of, of worship for, for, for prayer, but they serve as you have a community for each and every one of these uh, spaces. Um, that's so. Yeah, yeah. What I was trying to get at, uh, what I was trying to lead into, yeah, um, by that is to point out that uh, when these waves of immigrants kept coming, a lot of times people differed in their notion of what a masjid is supposed to be. You know? uh, yeah. So for us that were here, like I was born here, my dad's been here since like the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, since there was nothing at that time, it naturally formed this notion in people's mind when they built a masjid that it became really the center of a community. Right. They had to have, you know, like funeral services arrangements and they had to have uh, arrangements for teaching and gathering people. Villa Park, Islamic Foundation in Villa Park was such a, like a milestone in the history of Islam in the Midwest, in this whole area, mm-hmm. people used to come from all over just to get to the bookstore at that time because you couldn't order books online or whatever. You had to go to some place and get books. Yeah. That was one. That was the biggest uh, Islamic bookstore in the Midwest at the time, as far as I know. Wow. People come from Michigan, Wisconsin, whatever, just to get books. Yeah. Um, and just to find it, it was yeah, it was really a, a center of learning for people. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, it had to be right because there's no other choice. What are you gonna do? It, yeah. No, in the '80s, for example, you couldn't afford to just build 
a small little room for people to pray and then leave. Right? It wouldn't make sense because they needed that anchor, you know? Yeah. As for the people that came, say, recently, 10 years ago, five years ago, whatever, they can kind of afford to, I don't want this to sound derogatory or whatever, but they can afford to, like, have this perception of just a place where men go to pray and then come out and because that's what uh, they saw in their own country, most likely. Uh, that there was not a social or a um, a community or even a political uh, element. Right, exactly. Ministry. It was just a dry five times prayer and that's it. Um, and that's why, yeah, I think as the community progressed, as new waves of immigrants started to come, mm -hmm. you will see places popping up now where that's kind of the case. I'll say for the community that I... Um, that I, I grew up in um, and now serve as an imam in, uh, it it does follow that extension of the, the same type of environment that we had or the same purpose that the, the church served um, uh, for, the, uh, for the community, which was the same that the masjid served. So, I mean, there was not much of a, there was, there, there was very little uh, dissonance or, or, you know, there was, there was not too much of a separation between the two. It was a social place. It was, it was worship. Uh, it was political uh, as well. But I think most importantly, it was, it was identity. And when I hear, when I'm, I'm hearing you say that some folks, they'll come in and it's just about the worship, it seems like there's not much that has to do with identity involved with that. You know, it's just... Yeah, I agree. You know, and... Um, but I think this society in particular, it makes you... And tell me if you agree with this or not, your your thoughts on it, that it makes you take stock of identity. You're constantly aware of identity. And I've actually heard that from uh, immigrants that came over. Yeah. And they started to see... And, and, yeah, and we talked about it, and they felt the same way, that you... Uh, are more conscious of your identity as a Muslim when you're living in a society where you're the minority. Yeah. I think that's natural. Yeah. And actually, I think it's probably the... And because of that, uh, there are things that you... that you probably pay attention to that you would not um, mm -hmm. if, you know, if you're saturated. Um, and one of the things that, uh, that I hear, and I don't know if this is... if it's just from the African-American Muslims... Or if it is a, a, a an American Muslim observation, and that is when we see one another, right? You recognize another Muslim, you're happy to see them, mm -hmm. so you give the salams, right? And that's just how we think. But the observation has been, it's not always returned. It's not always, um, and I've heard that maybe other folks are just not used to that idea because if they come from majority Muslim countries, then you be saying you be giving the salams all day long. And mm -hmm. <laughs> it just maybe that's out of place. Um, have, have you have you heard that, or have you have you witnessed that yourself? Yes, I've witnessed that myself. <laughs> <laughs> it is yeah, it's different. It's kind of like. People in a Muslim country, they take it for granted yeah. that, you know, it's, it really is a blessing, right? When you say, assalamu alaikum, mm -hmm. right? You want the blessings of God on that person. Mm -hmm. But um, a lot of times, and it depends on how the, var the varying levels of people's uh, commitment to religion or how much attention they pay to religion or whatever. Yeah. Sometimes people just say, like, something else, like, salah al-khair, you know, good morning yeah. or whatever. Um, in a Muslim country, I'm talking really? about. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, and, yeah, it's not like walking down the street. It's not common for people to just say, like, assalamu go around saying, assalamu alaikum, assalamu alaikum to each other. You know, you get a marhaban back? Um, yeah, <laughs> very, very, like I said, varies by the country. Yeah. Um, I would say they won't be, I've heard stories people told me, like, and in certain places in the Middle East where people kind of, almost like offended or like taken back if you say assalamu alaikum to them really? because it's not common i've never experienced that myself in my experience yeah no one is going to be like offended 
by you know you saying salam it's only going to be good you know right but there yeah i've never had an experience where someone was like why did you say that or something you know even like in egypt mm-hmm. sometimes accidentally you'll say that to a christian or something because you know there's a in alexander there's like large christian population mm-hmm. so um i've never i've never experienced i've never had an experience where someone was like why did you say that to me you know it's mm-hmm. always nothing but good comes out of it yeah. that being said it's not common to for it depends it depends you know yeah but but here here it's different yeah and i don't i don't know all of the factors that go into it right it you have to force yourself not to make the the worst assumption as to why things play out the way they do uh you give the salams and and you don't get anything back or Mm -hmm. you know they just look at you you know and keep it moving it's like hmm that's interesting (laughs) You know, but uh, but once again, in this in this country, um, because we are we are a, a visible minority, uh, it's like a celebration when you mm-hmm. when you feel like you want to celebrate, you run across somebody. Yeah. So, speaking of identity, what are some of the key things that um, that you feel the the masjid helps to support? In terms of identity? Yeah. Um, identity, well, I guess just a Muslim identity overall. Mm. Um, one thing that the older generation got right, that people were spe- uh, skeptical of at the time, they put an emphasis on um, being able to provide an outlet for sports yeah. at the masjid. Mm-hmm. Is very e- it was very e- easy to kind of like overlook this or underestimate this or even dismiss it. Mm-hmm. It's like sports, who cares, you know? Like they can play sports anywhere else. But that was I think that really turned out to be a far-sighted uh, vision. Yeah. Um. So oddly enough, yes, yeah, sports was such a big thing because that's what attracts the youth and attracts them to the masjid, and that's where when the youth get together. That's how uh, their identity is kind of forged, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to be forged by the elders just telling the youth something like "you're a Muslim" and be proud of it or whatever. It's when the youth get together under this umbrella of of the masjid and, and worship, along with the fun stuff. That's when I think that identity can be forged. Mm. So just providing the the um, a, a space where they can have community. Yeah, uh, but uh, under under their own terms, to a to a to a degree. Um, yeah, to a degree. Yeah, uh, you know, and I remember, um, I think it was a Moss Foundation. No, 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 it was uh, in, in Bridgeview. Um, they had they used to have on Friday nights. Uh, the young guys would come. They would play ball, and I remember going out there. Uh, I took some a group of. Uh, uh, students out there, and after they would play, or I think it was at some, I, I don't know, I don't remember the exact point they did it. It may have been right before, or it took a break in the middle. But there was like a small halakha right afterwards, you know, uh, and they would, you know, they would talk, get a little, little lesson, and then they would go back to the game. Uh, matter of fact, it was before. Yes, mm-hmm. it was before, and then they would go into the game, and I felt like. That was um, those those are the kind of lessons that youth they remember. They may they may not absorb it even at that particular moment, but those are the things that that come back to them uh, years later. You know, at at the right time. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, so I, I definitely think that that's a um, that's a win. That that is that's farsighted. I would love to see somebody go back and do some type of research or write something about the relationship between uh, basketball and Muslim identity <laughs> in the United States. Basketball? Right? Because all of, it was always all about basketball. If you didn't have a basketball court, your masjid was going, th- your community eventually was just going to go downhill, you know, because there was nothing, cause that's what the, the youth wanted. They yeah. all wanted to come and play basketball. I've seen it happen. I've seen both cases happen. I've seen the difference between Villa Park, which always had a gym where people could play basketball. Yeah. Naperville did not have that until 
like a decade ago. Um, and, and only after having that gym was when the youth really like, uh, the youth involvement and the youth camaraderie, the cohesion really kind of like skyrocketed. Before that, in the 90s, when Naperville, like we mentioned, Naperville was just a small place. Yeah. The youth, there wasn't really too much for the youth. Well, I think looking at it from uh, from a, a nationwide uh, perspective, uh, as, as far as youth engagement is concerned, um, basketball has skyrocketed in popularity since the 70s. Um, and also... Yeah, when you look at Muslims love basketball for some reason. Well, I don't think it's just Muslims though. <laughs> Especially Muslims, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got to think about what can you play during the I mean all year round. Right? Yeah. I mean, basketball, if you got a gym, it's there for you mm-hmm. year round. Um I just think it's the it's the perfect sport for for young people. Uh, but you think Muslims love it probably more so? <laughs> Seems like it, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. They got to have it. Pause. Hey. Okay. So, yeah, th- there may be some interesting research to see um, <laughs> how much. And is it, and is it, ge- is it geographical, right? Because yeah. we'd have to go around and see. Maybe lacrosse is the big thing. Uh, in some spaces, uh, we'll see. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I, I do think that there is a rep. I don't want to say a replication of, but I feel like you find the same. Like I think Muslims are, are probably as much into rap as a whole as anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, rap, basketball, um, the same stuff that you see in the inner city, right? The same things that the uh, that we would quote unquote define as the African American, um, just in general. What do you, What do you think? Seems that way. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, requires research, I guess. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just throw it out there for right now. Um, I'm sure somebody, somebody, some scholar uh, has probably looked at it, um, or maybe looking at it right now. Mm-hmm. Right. That that would be worth. All right, let's let's because I know we, we're getting close to the time. Food wise, do you think that um, do you think our messages are also a place where I, I think they are? They're a place where food is also as big a part of uh, setting the tone or giving kind of the, the character of the masjid. Well, you missed part of the equation. What's Not that? just food. Yeah. Free food. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Free food, yes. See, our food is not free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, and what, what occasions are we talking about free food? Just because we, so we have food after uh, after Juma, mm-hmm. right? We, we sell food, Okay. right? So you can buy you a, buy you a dinner. Um, yeah, we sell food after Juma too, like lunch after Juma. Yeah. But there's times where... Um, it's just a beautiful experience to invite the whole community out, whether it be a potluck or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, something like that, and just have everyone eat together, you yeah. know, like a big, you know, a big, huge gathering. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm with you on that. And it depends. And if you want to attract people to the masjid for an event, there's a speaker, there's a, if anything, you know, any kind of event, you got to offer them some type of free food. Otherwise, it turnout will be very low that is I, i'm gonna i'll co-sign on that too i think i think that's true as well all right <laughs> all right uh radio Sound family uh we have come to the close of another edition uh we thank you all for for tuning in and we want to thank our engineers over at wcev thank you very much we thank uh our engineer the in studio uh in studio engineer the impressive one ibrahim bay um, he and I, producers for this segment. Um, our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and our guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. And with that, good people, we're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.